Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your weekend is not complete without the first lady of New York radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome to the Joan Hamburg Show. And we do this every Sunday starting at 2 o'clock. So please be our guest. We love you to join us. Oh, and I want to mention something good. The Jackie Mason musical playing a limited engagement at Caroline's right on Broadway on November 6th, 13th, and 20th at 3 p.m. is going to be fabulous. And for your chance to win a pair of tickets, Go to avcwavcradio.com slash Jackie Mason. And then I hope you stay tuned. We've got a great show today. The world's most famous astrophysicist, Neil deGrasse Tyson, is coming. The Pasta Grammys, they are household names by now. They're going to make your mouth water. And... We're going to take a look at the Big Apple Circus and how it's saving animals. Lots going on Sunday, starting at 2, The Joan Hamburg Show. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats. I'm already getting the turkey calls. I was told there was a shortage. People say they're expensive. What do you think? Well, I actually ordered my 19, 20-pound turkey, and I was told that they would, from a butcher, that they would take the order, but there was no guarantee they were going to get the turkey. There's no question there has been a chicken or turkey virus. It's very hard this year. We came across three local family farms where now they'll actually take your order. One is right in Flanders, New Jersey. It's Ashley Turkey Farm. You know where that is near? Right near Chester. And you can go online to ashleyfarmsonline.com or 973-584-584. Seven five seven eight. Four generations are involved in this farm. They grow produce. They have about seven thousand turkeys for Thanksgiving, and they're famous for their quarts of turkey gravy. They raise the birds from day-old chicks. They process them right on premise, and they're fed their own corn and soybean meal, vitamins, water. They sell turkey pies turkey salad, homemade turkey soup, all kinds of products, including fresh veggies. Turkeys are very expensive this year, $4.59 a pound, but fresh pies are $15.99. Go to ashleyfarmsonline.com or again, 973-584-7578 and pick up your turkey 
at the farm, Ehunk Hill Turkey Farm on Moosap, Connecticut, M-O-O-S-U-P. This, a family farm owned and operated by the Hermanot family since 1998. They make everything they serve on the Thanksgiving table. They started with 15 turkeys. Today they raise over 3,000 free-range turkeys. And their largest grower of free-range turkeys in Connecticut, they have heritage turkeys, geese, pies from Granny's Pie Factory, and pasture-raised turkeys, $5.99 a pound, heritage turkeys, $12.99 a pound, a goose, $12.99, pies are $19.99, and they ask for a non-refundable deposit. It's a really good place, and pickup is on their farm. If you don't know Ralph's Poultry Farm, they've been serving the Long Island community for over 60 years. It's on Raleigh Farm Road, Kings Park. Five, no, no, I'm going to give you this number, 631-269-4428, and the sisters... Catherine and Maura continue their family legacy by running the farm that their family started in 1960. Their parents came from Ireland, and their dreams of this farm was everything they hoped for, very successful. They raise about 3,000 turkeys for Thanksgiving. They sell fresh eggs, chickens, meat, baked goods, even fish. Go to Raleigh Farm. Dot com R A L E I G H S Raleigh's Farm dot com or six three one two six nine four four two eight and they'll reserve your turkey, your pie, your gravy. So it's all good to know. So you've got a lot of stuff and a lot of places, but if you are in the mood, you should really try to take care of it now because Every time I speak to someone in this business, they say there is a real possibility of a shortage. So I'm just giving you the thumbs up. Go get them. I'm Joan Hamburg. And right now, we're going to continue. You're going to listen to a lot more show. Don't forget, we do this every Sunday starting at 2 o'clock. So stay tuned. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome to the Joan Hamburg Show. And my pal Jill Rappaport decided she's going to pop in today. You all know Jill from television, from her Pet Life Radio. In fact, I first met Jill, I can't tell you how many years ago, but... We were both doing TV. Do you know, Jill, I can't even remember what channel we were on. Channel 2, WCBS oh, right. in the 80s, Joan. Do right. we need to bring in, that up? <laughs> in, in the 80s. And Jill was Late doing 80s. <laughs> celebrities, all celebrities. 
And then let, wait, I have to tell your audience, Joan, it was so much fun working with you. You would come in to do your segment and I would come in. Joan was Madam Matchmaker. The first thing out of her mouth, are you dating anybody? And I, of course, it was in between one of my fiancés and you were always matching up Michelle Marsh, myself. Oh, oh, I yeah. mean, it, it was hysterical. You had so many women that were looking to you to and find their next We husband. did good. I do Right. More guys in those days. But, Jill, I mean, yours is a really interesting story because you were doing all these celebrities and they were big time. You know, they now we have so many different TV shows that half the time I don't know who anyone is. But you had all the major stars. And then one day you showed up at the station and you said to us, we were all in the makeup room, our favorite part of doing TV, hair and makeup. And you said, um, I'm going to the dogs. <laughs> what does that mean? Was- well, first of all, I had such an incredible career and I still have contact with those stars. Uh, and I was so blessed to be on the red carpet and at home with the biggest and the best. I had the last sit down exclusive interview with Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. Their last and only interview they had done in probably three decades. I had that. I had breakfast at Tiffany's with Audrey Hepburn. I went to a comedy club with Lucille Ball, dinner with Frank Sinatra. First interview with George Clooney on the gurney when he was just starting out at ER. And, you know, I mean, I look back and I think, oh, this is unbelievable. But I have to tell you, it was wonderful and fun, but it was a job. And then when my beloved dog, Jack, got very sick uh, and we chronicled his story of cancer on the Today Show, it went viral. People were reaching out to me all over the world. I went to my boss that day and I said, you know what? Stars don't need my help. Animals do. And he said, okay, cool. The BR Pet Reporter. I said, oh, I don't love that title. How about Animal Advocate? And that's how it all began. Mm-hmm. And since then, I started the whole rescue movement on national TV and created all of these you know, websites and buzz and shows and segments, Best in Shelter with Jill Rappaport, and then, of course, Dog Bowl, which was Puppy Bowl for Seniors on Animal Planet. And I'm just the proudest to say of anything I've ever done in my life, forget careers, that I can honestly say I think I helped facilitate the adoption in the homes of thousands of animals. And you love what you're doing, which is very Uh, important. Yeah, if you love, you know the old saying, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. No, and it's true. I really and you... feel that way. And Joni, you always yell at me because you say, "Are you getting paid?" No, because <laughs> that's right. Because Jill, when you do celebrities, you do okay financially, right. but when you do pets, it isn't as lucrative. Well, it's lucrative to my heart, and it's true. Uh, so many jobs, I basically work for free. I don't ask for a fee because I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to be able to shine a light on these animals and save their lives. Um, Yes. You know, I have a lot of people saying, what are you crazy? But in the end, I think it will pay off because the biggest payoff is that they get a forever home. And it's so important. And you know, it's a hundred billion dollar industry, the pet industry. It knows no recession, did not suffer during COVID as far as products and things like that. But what did suffer, Joan, and which is why I'm doing this event, the COVID returns are overwhelming. We were so excited. The only good thing out of that pandemic, we were hearing that the shelters were getting emptied right. out. Well, Everyone guess what? wanted a pet. Everyone wanted a pet. You couldn't find one. Guess what? People have gone back to work. 
and they can't handle the responsibility. And also they didn't realize the financial commitment when you own an animal. If an animal gets sick and you don't have pet insurance, you know what that's like. It can be overwhelming. So rescue and adoption are down, I believe, almost 30%. It may be the worst it's been in a decade, which is why I came up with this crazy, wacky idea to partner with the Big Apple Circus to shine a light on these rescue dogs. Right. Now, what made you think of it? Now, that's a very special circus. It's always had its own image, its own independence, and people love it. A great one for kids. There's nothing scary. New York beloved tradition. No, it's a great one. It's so funny you say that, Joan. I was at a dinner party, and they happened to seat me next to this new CEO, Marty LaSalle, who is just as handsome as can be. He used to be a professional juggler, and he's been in circuses, and now he is the CEO of the Big Apple Circus. He is as charming and as wonderful as he can be. And I said, you know what, Marty? I've only been to that circus or any circus once in my life, and it was when we did a book signing with Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. They were very involved with Big Apple and children, and and they brought all the kids there from Pegasus Therapeutic Riding. So I went there, but I have to tell you, I had apprehensions. I had concerns. I was worried. Is the circus fair to animals? What's going on with the circus and animal welfare? Well, you know what? Big Apple Circus has never done anything wrong. The last time they used an exotic animal was in the early 80s, over 40 years ago. And these other circuses, they have changed. They have changed their policies. The exotic animals are not in circuses. And here's what I tell people when they first hear the word circus, Joan, you know, it's almost to some like a four-letter word. And I say to people, Rescue animals are hoping for a second chance. And if we don't give organizations and people that are making a concerted effort to truly change and help these animals in need, then what does it mean? We have to give them a second chance. It's the same philosophy. And Big Apple, as I said, was never you know, involved in using those types of animals, but it's the whole image that has just gone around with circuses and people can't seem to get that out of their heads. But we are going to change it with this event. So what you, So, tell me what you're planning to do with the circus, which will be in town fairly soon. Well, what's great is we're completely separate from the circus in the sense that we are our own event. And what I love about Big Apple Circus and Marty LaSalle, they are throwing at us all of their resources. We are getting all Lincoln Center, all of their wonderful workers. We are giving everything for free that night. My event is November 8th, Election Day at 4 p.m. Kids are out of school. They are going to be treated to Westminster for rescue. That's how I call it because these amazing dogs, we're going to have 45 in honor of the 45th year of the Big Apple Circus from shelters all over. I mean, we have the most amazing groups, Joan. As you know, we talked about this. I mean, I have... Westchester SPCA, I've got Bidewe, Little Shelter, Huntington, Long Island, Long Island Bulldog Rescue, Nassau Humane. So they're all there and people can come and actually they get to go to the circus, right? Well, what we decided, and I'll tell you why we changed that a little bit, because there are so many animals that has to be professionally sanitized after and we don't want to hold people hostage for six hours. So what we decided to do is split it up where they're going to watch this incredible adoption event with a lot of VIPs yet to be announced. And then the one and only Gabby Pizzolo, 
over a million followers, the star of Stranger Things. She starred on Broadway and Madeline. She will be singing a song to the rescue dogs at 6 p.m. There will not be a dry eye in the house. And it's going to be so incredible because it's for free. And just think, you could meet your forever you know, pet child, and it's going to be so great. And that's what I love about this. We're not in the circus. We're not one of the acts, but we're the first show to kick off the debut of the circus, which opens officially on Friday, Veterans Day uh, of that week. So this is really so wonderful that they're giving us this opportunity to make a difference and to hopefully save countless lives. Now, let me ask you, if someone finds a dog that they want, or a cat, can they leave with that animal or do they, is it a little more complicated? No, you know, it, it, uh, we have the most reputable rescues literally in the tri-state and, you know, little shelter, you know, little shelter and uh, NYC second chance rescue. I'm fostering two dogs for them now. As you know, I have a standard poodle and a golden doodle. People are going to flip out when they see the dogs that we have featured. From We will have, you know, some young ones, but mostly seniors, middle age, all sorts of breeds. And what a reliable shelter does, they will fill out an application. We're going to give everybody a packet when they come in. And they will check off as each dog walks around and we tell the attributes, good with kids, not good with cats, whatever, housebroken. Then they can check off the dog that speaks to their heart, and then they apply online and say they saw the dog at Big Apple Circus. And from there, then the application goes into process, and these rescues, it's up to them. These shelters, that's their job, is to pick the best family. Because, Joan, it is not about a home. It is about the right home. If they don't end up in the right situation, they will end up right back in the shelter. Yeah, no, it's hard. It's complicated. It's a member of your family. and it... Exactly. And and we're not going to have, we don't want everybody coming down, you know, on the, the main floor and petting these dogs. Remember, a lot of them came from very frightening, horrific situations. We are trying to, you know, get them acclimated. It's going to be bright lights. You have all the crews and, you know, they're filming it and it's going to be, you know, an interesting event for these animals who literally came from the most dire situation. So we don't want strangers going up and putting their hands all over them. We have to do this for safety reasons. Well, it's going to be a great event. The circus is, if you've never seen it, it's a great thing. You can go on to BigAppleCircus.com and to find out more about Rappaport's event and everything that's going on, where do people go? Well, first of all, it's it's being posted all over the Big Apple Circus. There's media alerts everywhere. And what I want to tell people, it's for free. Come find your best friend for life. You will have free refreshments, cotton candy, popcorn, soda. You're going to see the most adorable show. And you get a performance by a major star. What Can you think of a better thing to do with your kids on that day when they're out of school? It's at four o'clock and Joan, you know, we're having all the most beloved people of the Big Apple. (laughs) So I'm counting, I'm hoping that you can come and, uh, you know, I can introduce you to your fans because people will go crazy when they see you. Oh, maybe I'll even bring Annabelle, the neurotic standard poodle. (laughs) She loves company. As long as you don't tell the audience she's a neurotic standard poodle, we want to be very positive about it. Well, we are, but we she's not for adoption. 
<laughs> Although, Joan, you have to admit, there were times you were thinking about it. <laughs> oh, she, she was a handful. Most standards are pretty solid, or at least the ones I've one. had. You have you one, and now you're fostering two. And can I tell you, the two that I have, and I, this is such an important story. They came from a hoarding situation in Virginia. When we picked up the boy, he had to be carried. He's it's almost 15 months. He couldn't even walk because he was in a crate and, a, you know, really mm-hmm. badly abused. When you went to touch him, his tail would tuck under. He, his back would look like a U. He was so terrified of people. And the sister, his half-sister, is eight months. She was better. But now they jump up and down. They kiss. Yeah. Uh, they're so beautiful. No, they're sure. great. You and I, I've, you know I've had standards always since I was a kid. But and, she's a small standard, Joan. Yeah, I mean, she is. I named him. I got him the first day of fall, so I named her Pumpkin and him Spice. But okay. she's only 36 pounds. Annabelle weighs more than that, doesn't now, she? Annabelle's around 35. Oh, but, so, so she's Annabelle. Joan, do you feel no, like... Uh, no, I don't. No, no, more? I don't. I feel like <laughs> my heart is full. And my house is full. full. Your home is full. My home is full. The dog has eaten every bit of paper. And now, don't forget, she's not a young girl anymore. She's 10 and a half. I know. That dog never saw paper she didn't want to chew. And climbs (laughs) up on the counter, no matter where, to get the paper towels. She'll go for cookies and take them out one by one. From a cookie and, box, you know, and throw away. And she doesn't away. let anybody leave your house. I no. mean, that's what's so hysterical. You walk in, and it's like, who cares? And if you go to leave, heaven Forget forbid. <laughs> I know. She barks. She growls. She tries to hold their clothes so they can't leave. But the vet had I'm said. for a man like her, Joan. Yeah, forget it, honey. It's easier to get a dog. <laughs> Besides, I thought you were finished with men. Well, you know, I mean, listen, as I always say, love me, love my dogs. Uh, you know, I, I'm not an easy uh, package because I come with a lot of fur and a lot of ha- dog hair. But, you know, and what? wait I and mention that all that fur and dog hair sleeps on your bed, whether there are three <laughs> dogs, six dogs, they're all in it. So, well, you know what? Only two now because my coonhound has a bad back. So he has to stay downstairs. His back is totally perfect now for two years. He was on prednisone, but now not going up and down the stairs, you see. So my standard and my doxy sleep on the bed and standards don't shed. And the doxy, I don't really see it. He's so little. But no, I know. It's like it's not a welcome home to a lot of guys. I was going to say when I was younger, it was the perfect form of birth control. (laughs) And what about your horses? Oh, my goodness. Well, that's what I love about these dogs. My doxy literally will chase and run with the horses. The horses love the dogs. And that's been the best thing for these fosters, Joan. Imagine they came from a crate abused and now they're on a farm and looking at horses the little baby girl she jumps up every day and kisses madison on the nose they love dogs and the dogs love them and you know that's what i tell people all the time i wish people wouldn't like if they do go to a shelter which is what we're trying to get people to do you can't judge the personality by what's sitting behind the cage because if i tell you these dogs have done a 180 they have been through Heck, I'll say yeah. that word. You've got to give them a chance. With a little love, They, the personality emerges, and they are amazing. 
So, you know, that's what I'm hoping this event will show people. And, again, we will have every breed, every color, every size, every age. It sounds and good. And just waiting for All a home. Right. Julie, we're looking forward to it. Give the date again. Yes, it's November 8th at 4 p.m. at Lincoln Center, first come, first serve, because, you know, once it starts filling up, get in line early because you're going to get everything for free, and hopefully you're going to walk out with your heart full. Okay, that's great. And by the way, when you finish that event, you can go across the street to Shunley Cafe and have dim sun. Maybe is- you'll go with me. I'm telling you, Joan, everyone's counting on you being there. Okay, the Jilly. New York Radio, you stand for the Big Apple tradition. You have to come. We'll talk about it. Anyway, we're <laughs> going to let you go, and we look forward to seeing you at Lincoln Center. Everyone, okay, come thank join. You so thank much. you, Jilly. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. More to come. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. If you have never read Neil deGrasse Tyson or weren't aware that he's the director of the Hayden Planetarium at one of our great institutions, the American Museum of Natural History that he's a television star, he lectures, he's an astrophysicist, he's written best-selling books, and he has a brand new one called Starry Messenger, Cosmic Perspectives on Civilization. And I'm going to let Mr. Tyson tell you what that means and also let him explain what an astrophysicist is. For those of you who have not had the great pleasure of seeing him, I remember the first time I watched him was on a late-night TV show, and I was sort of, you know, half asleep, and suddenly I sat up and said, who is he? And then I was hooked. And he is one of the great astrophysicists in the country. He's a wonderful writer, a wonderful lecturer, and he makes you really care about science and the impact and what science can do to the way we think and the way we act. So thank you so much for coming on. Well, thanks, Joan, for inviting me and a very warm introduction. Thank you for that. No, it's a gift, and I absolutely love it. We have two neurophysicists in the family. I still have no clue what they do. Okay. okay. <laughs> I, I think it has something to do with the brain. We're good. To start yeah, there. <laughs> something to do with the brain. We need you. You know, the actor Alan Alda teaches scientists how to communicate. You never had that problem, right? From the time you were a kid and decided astronomy, astrology, these were hot topics for you. Yeah, not so much astrology, which has no foundation in any science at all, but uh, astrophysics, you know, the study applying laws of physics to our understanding of cosmic phenomenon. 
So where Earth's atmosphere ends, that's where my interest and knowledge of the universe begins. So it's everything beyond the Earth. Well, actually, I'm even interested when rocks fall to Earth, you know, meteors, uh, a fascinating film uh, on Netflix during COVID that came out called Don't Look Up. Yeah, I saw that. Which is a bit of a parody on people's reactions to objective truths that they just didn't want to be true. And uh, it was sort of brilliantly, uh, uh, comedically, uh, uh, it was was quite the parody. But at the end, I said, no, 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 this isn't fiction. This is a documentary. (laughs) (laughs) No, but you know, that's so funny you said that because I watched that too. And I had that same question right in the beginning. I think we all did. Could this really be real? But it yeah, was Yeah, I mean right? we, there are asteroids out there and some could head our way and 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 maybe the biggest threat is not the asteroid itself, but our inability to do anything about it because of mass denial of what scientists say. There's an old there's an old um saying, is it a saying or an edict that every every disaster movie begins by authorities ignoring the advice of scientists. <laughs> Every right. single movie you've ever seen does that. And, and so, so, uh, so I value science literacy, not just because it's fun, but because it empowers you to take some kind of control over the fate of civilization in a way that we can become better shepherds of who and what we are and what we uh, bequeath to the next generation or as some cultures have described, um, we are borrowing the future from our descendants, and we want to be able to give it back to them in good shape. And it doesn't look like that's what we're doing now. Well, I, I know we are more divided than we've ever been as a civilization. But what I was so fascinated with through your book was how science sees the world differently and what does that really mean if we suddenly start to study what's around us, stars, or is that going to teach us how to deal with things like social conflicts? Is that possible? And Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And uh, I, I'm going to answer it two, two ways. They're related, but I just want to say it in two ways. The act of studying science, uh, it has a way of wiring your brain such that you see the world differently. You, you, your urge is to look at the causes of phenomenon more than the phenomenon themselves, uh, because this is what a scientist does. Why is it this way? Um, uh, could it be a different way? And if not, why not? Are there laws of nature that enable it or prevent it? So the scientist seeing the world is rarely swayed by just some opinion of how people might long for something to be or what some culture or religion or family tradition may wish to be true relative to what is true. But everyone is not going to be a scientist. That would be a very boring world. I, I, I totally embrace musicians and artists and, and all manner of creativity that lives and works and plays among us. So the real, so the pathway here is not necessarily to become a scientist, but to just think a little differently 
about what it is you're doing, what you're saying, what it is you think is true. Explore it from different angles of view. And so it's a matter of what tactics do you invoke before and during the time you formulate your opinions. And so this book is an attempt to empower us all to, to, to before you shape an opinion, have you really thought it through? Or are you just, are you just following your, your urges and then to say, and this is what it is, and by darn it, and that's how it's going to be, and I will dig in my heels and fight you. So my hope is that this, you know, I don't like telling people what to do, but I'm going to tell people what to do now. You have to get this book and read it before Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) (laughs) So so we uh, will not necessarily attack. Exactly. We'll be fortified. While people are arguing who's woke and who isn't and who likes the police and who doesn't and, mm-hmm. and who's leftist and who's not and, and goes on and on and on. Maybe there's a, a deeper way to think about these exchanges. And the, a cosmic perspective, specifically, which goes beyond just a scientific lens, is uh, I think that the, the, the best example of a cosmic perspective is take a look at Earth from space, deep space, And there's this orb adrift, alone. And it doesn't look like the schoolroom globe that we were trained on from elementary school. What is that globe anyway? Oh, I know what it is. They color code the countries. Why are they doing that? Oh, oh, it's so that you know immediately who your enemies are and who your friends are. Hmm. The tribalization of us as members and participants of civilization begins early. But from space, all of that goes away. It's gone. And you see Earth as nature intended, with oceans and land and clouds. And in this book, every now and then I throw in some visiting aliens who have no preconceived notion of who we are and just have them say, well, what do you think? What do you think? (laughs) And they'll say, well, this is beautiful. You have all these land masses, but wait, um, there are laws that prevent people from moving freely among those land masses? Are, are you all the same species? Yes. Um, so why are they killing each other over here? Oh, because they have a different skin color, or they, they sleep with different people, or they worship different gods, or they speak differently. And, and we'll go through this, 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 this litany of reasons for why humans not only argue with each other, but ultimately wage war. And then the aliens will fly away, run back home, report back that there's no sign of intelligent life on Earth. <laughs> not far off. And, and in the book, Neil deGrasse Tyson explains that Earth is not the center of all motion. It orbits the sun as just one right, of the other known planets. Yeah, so that's, of course, widely known and embraced by nearly everyone on Earth today. But 400 years ago, when Galileo uh, provided observational evidence with his freshly perfected telescope, observational evidence to support Copernicus, to support Copernicus um, in his... uh, hypothesis 
that the sun was in the center of all motion and Earth orbited the sun, you could discount it saying, oh, this is just a mathematical uh, uh, um, convenience, uh, but because no data was presented for it. Galileo puts forth the data, and this is information from the universe through his telescope. He says, wait a minute, uh, and by the way, the sun has spots. It's not some perfect orb, and the moon has mountains, valleys, and craters. That's not a perfect sphere either. And the moon goes around us, and the earth and the moon goes around the sun, and all the planets go around the sun, and these are messages from the universe, destabilizing our place, the understanding we had of ourselves in this universe. His book that he wrote that reported on all of this was called Sidereus Nuncius, Latin, of course. You translate that Latin, it's Starry Messenger. Mm. So I took the title of this book from his book because we learn things about ourselves by looking at and thinking about how this universe works. And there are messages from the universe that tell us, you know, you better rethink that. I, I'll give, can I give a quick example? Sure. Um, on Earth, we have this urge to compartmentalize things, even when they land on a continuum. It's an urge. We, we even do it for hurricanes. Do you realize hurricane speeds is a continuous change of miles per hour measured in the cyclone, okay? Mm. But we put these borders there, category one, category two, category three. And, and it's not news if a hurricane strengthens from a low category two to a high category two. But if it goes one mile an hour across that border, breaking news, Hurricane Irma is now category three. And all of a sudden we go, ooh, ah. And this is something we know exists on a continuum. Yet we force it into these categories, I guess, because it's easier for us to think about it. But in the limit, all we really want in life is just two categories. Are you with us? Are you against us? Are you Republican? Or are you Democrat? Are, are you black or are you white? Are, are you a boy? Or are you a girl? Are you? And, and so here we have actual, actual variation in these quantities in the actual world and in the actual universe. But you want to categorize them so that you can think about them more easily. And that's, that's a problem if you rise to power and create laws that deny the spectrum of all of life that's out there. We know people express themselves on a gender spectrum. And in this country, the United States of America, I think I remember a sentence somewhere in one of our founding documents about the pursuit of happiness. I remember that somewhere. And if your pursuit of happiness is you are on a gender spectrum, so what? Let it be. Deal with it if you can't otherwise think that way. Just by the way, most of the universe is on a spectrum. The very spectrum of light is a spectrum, okay? Mm. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet. That actually has millions of colors in it. We, the best we did is we broke it up into seven colors. But so much happens that if you study science and the universe and our attempt to classify and categorize, and you realize the diversity of stuff in the universe, and then you come to Earth and look at people try to pigeonhole, it's embarrassing that people behave in a way that constrains the freedoms of others 
just because you don't know how to think on a spectrum. Can we learn or change? Screaming at you here. (laughs) No, but I'm curious. I mean, if science and the scientific mind, you say, can help us deal with even the current political situation or the cultural issues you've alluded to, how things we talk about on a daily basis, can we change? Can we become part of this and see it really change the way we think? Okay, I'm an educator, so I have to answer yes to that question. Right, (laughs) but tell me the truth. You talk a lot about truth. Yes, yes, there's a whole chapter on truth and and beauty, by the way. And, And by the way, so it's not so much, I don't think of it as changing people. Uh, yes, it is, but that's not how I think about it. I think about it as enlightening people. All right, it, does that mean you're changing or growing? Well, it, I guess growing is change, but it's not like, well, I think this now. I, you want me to think that? Uh, that's no, that's combative, and that's that's that's. I, I don't think that's that's uh, productive. What what you the way you need to view it is here are my opinions, and have I thought about it this other way? No, not yet. Wait a minute. Oh my gosh. You're right. This, it does work this way instead of the other way. Or this opinion I held was not as, as ironclad as I thought it was when I first formulated it. So people crawl out, crawl, crawl, or hack out of the shell, their opinion shell, and then take a peek around the landscape of other ideas And when you do that, you can't help but grow. You can't help but see more of how other people see the world. And then maybe you could step to a new vista that is not an extension of where you were or your opponent was. It's just in a new place. Maybe it's above both of your heads. Maybe it's a cosmic perspective. Maybe it's what Earth looks like from the moon. Yes, these can change you. But I prefer to think of it as these are things that empower you to grow. Let me ask you, um, we talk about truth, of which you devote time in um, Starry Messenger. What makes something true? You divide truth into three categories, but what makes something true? Yeah, that's a great question, but the answer is actually quite simple. But I had to break truth into three categories to see how simple it is. So. Uh, Many different people use the word truth, and I'm not here to take the word away from them, but I do want to add some nuance to it. So if you're a Christian, for example, and Jesus is your Savior, that's a personal truth. In a free country where the expression of religion is constitutionally protected, no one is going to take that away from you. That's a personal truth. So all religions represent the kind of personal truth you might carry. Uh, also, cultural truths are, are typically of a personal variety, or things you believe. If you know, if 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 you think the Beatles were better than Elvis Presley, and you are true to the bone on that, that's your personal truth. Right. Fine. Or or better than the Rolling Stones. There's a better comparison there. Fine. In a in a pluralistic land, the richness of those views creates the tapestry 
on the landscape in which we live. Okay. Another kind of truth is a political truth. In the old days, we might have called it brainwashing. These are things that become true simply because you heard them repeated so many times. Now, before what we call civilization, if you saw something repeat often in the wild and it worked out every time, it's, chances are it's true and you should heed your wisdom and insight that you glean from that because your survival depended on it. But now a lion is not chasing you down the streets. So <laughs> there's a lot of forces that are not operating on us and we now have to live in what we call civilization. So this repeated phenomenon where it turns out to be true, the brain's response to that has been hijacked by professionals who know that if they repeat something often enough, you will then think it's true. Because we have a weakness there in society to just those kinds of forcings. And like I said, that's what propaganda is. You repeat it often enough, it, it becomes true. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's a political truth. But then there's a third kind, objective truths. These are truths that the methods and tools of science are exquisitely tuned to establish with experiment and observations and checking for bias that could be within it. So you do an experiment and I get a result and I publish it. That's not the truth yet. And it may actually be wrong. We need other experiments to check it, verify it, contest it. When you do this enough, and my, my competitors say, we're going to show him wrong, because and then they, they do an experiment that shows that it's right. Oh, my gosh. You assemble the supportive evidence of a new understanding of how the world works. And that is an objective truth. And what objective truths have in common is that they are true whether or not you believe in them. So I think to myself, if, you, if you're going to have power over laws and legislation – and you're going to base them on something, it, it seems to me, if you base it on an objective truth, then it applies to everyone. Rather than take your personal truth up through the ranks and then create a law that derives from your personal truth, forcing other people with different personal truths to abide by it. If, that, if society heads in that direction, those are the seeds of the unraveling of an informed democracy. In its limit, it's a dictatorship. When, you, when your personal truths become law, foisted upon others that have different personal truths, that's, I don't know what society that is. That, I don't think that's what our founding fathers had in mind. I'm talking to Neil deGrasse Tyson. His book, Starry Messenger, Cosmic Perspectives on Civilization, wherever books are sold. Thank you so much, Neil. I look forward to talking to you again. Thank, thank you for having me, and thanks for your interest and your cosmic curiosity. Cosmic curiosity. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WAVC. More to come. Stay tuned. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Ask Joan. Because it's Medicare open enrollment now, I've been getting calls and emails and all kinds of stuff with people saying, what should I do? What should I know? Well, if you are a Medicare beneficiary, you've got until December 7th to review your health coverage option and make changes that take effect on January 1. 
Now, during the yearly open enrollment period, Medicare beneficiaries can compare 2023 coverage options between original Medicare, Medicare Advantage, and Part D prescription drug plans and make changes to your health plan or your drug plan. You can switch your Medicare Advantage or return to original Medicare. And if you have a Part D prescription plan, you can switch at this time. So it's something you want to be aware. And by the way, do not listen to ads, phone calls, mailings. You're going to get them. They're going to tell you about open enrollment. The people contacting you only want to sell you something. So try to navigating the process without guidance can be a little overwhelming. Let me tell you how you can do this. No bias information. Honest. Contact your state health insurance assistant program. They get funding from the federal government. They provide free local health coverage counseling if you've got Medicare. They give you insurance counseling, assistance with Medicare questions, help so that you make the right choices. It's really important. New York State, 1-800-701-0501. New Jersey, 1-800-792-8820. And Connecticut, 1-800-994-9422. It makes a very big difference. If you need that information for other states' websites, go to www.shiphelp, one word, S-H-I-P-H-E-L-P dot org. All right, guys, we're coming up to the 3 o'clock, so don't go anywhere. You've got lots more great programming on WABC. I'm Joan Hamburg. <laughs> 